want to talk about the Bible. The Bible, what is it about this book uh, that, uh, that, that people have given their lives for, that so many have uh, died for, that so many have hated to the point where they've tried to eradicate it from, uh, from existence? What is it about this, uh, this book? And so, you know, this morning I just want to start with this thought, that we have so much access to so much information. If you've got a cell phone, you've got access to all kinds of information immediately. And it's difficult sometimes to filter out what's useful and what's useless, did you know that a killer whale can learn to speak dolphin if they're placed in tanks next to one another? Interesting. Did you also know that Walmart loses approximately $3 billion a year to theft? Huh. Did you know that ancient Egyptians would shave off their eyebrows to mourn the death of their cats? Huh. Information nobody needs to know. You know, but it's out there. You know, and if you're like, and I found it, and you can find it, and a bunch of other things. But filtering out what's useful and useless. The other thing is difficult sometimes to filter out what's true and what's not true. Uh, you know, the the election that just happened in the states. It's funny that after it was all over, they blamed the the result. The losers, of course, blamed the result on the fact that there was false information on Facebook that swayed the voters to vote in the wrong way, because they couldn't filter out what was true and what was false. And now. They're stuck with their decision. Uh, but we were not talking about that. You can't mix re religion and politics, so we'll stick with religion today. Uh, you, know, but the, you know, somebody had, uh, uh, emailed me this week and said, you know, they, did you know that they found, that they found the uh, Egyptian chariot wheels on the bottom of the Red Sea, and it proves that the Bible is true, that Exodus is true. But if you go to this little thing called Snopes.com that, that checks out all the rumors on the Internet, you're going to find it there because it's not actually true. You don't, don't believe everything you read on the Internet, even if they say it proves the Bible to be true. Uh, you know, and then I, this week I read, too, about a 7-year-old girl that gave birth to an 87-year-old grandma who's fluent in, in five languages and also knows Taekwondo. And I'm like, that's why I don't go grocery shopping anymore. Uh, the stuff that you read and learn about there's so much stuff that isn't, isn't true, and it's this idea of how do we filter out what is and what isn't. And for many, the Bible ends up in this spot where you're like, is it true? Is it not? For so many, it's this, it's this, this wealth of information, these, this, this massively thick book uh, that you look at and think, well, you know, it seems to many that, that maybe it's for you, but others you talk to, ah, it's kind of old. It's outdated. It's, it's boring. It's really hard to understand. It's confusing. And for most, they would say it's irrelevant. What could a book that's 2,000 years old plus possibly have anything to do with us in 2016? And it's like, you know what? I don't really need to know what's in that book. And so for many, they'd never read it at all. Many followers of Christ uh, who would call themselves Christians don't read the Bible. We were going to do a show of hands. You know, how many of you have read the Bible regularly this week, this month, this year? We're just not going to do a show of hands because I know you're, I just don't want you to have to lie right here at the beginning of the message, right? But we know statistics would tell us that very few people People who claim to be Christians actually spend any time reading the Bible. They pray because they always need stuff, but this idea of reading the Bible, not so much. And so a number of years ago, a friend of mine from uh, when I went to Bible school years and years and years ago, there's a friend of mine who uh, all of a sudden out of the blue, he emails me. He, he sends me this email. He's like, man, he says, I haven't talked to you in a long time, but boy, have I got a, a, a proposition for you. He's like, I found this gold company that I would love for you to invest with me in this gold company. And I was like, oh, here we go. And I look and, and all, the, all the, the paperwork is just like, it just seems way too good to be true. Like the, the amount that they're going to be able to pay back, they've discovered all this gold, this, the, all the tests came back. There's tons of gold there and they're just, they're, they're raising money and, and uh, 
uh, they're going to pay it back, you know, whatever, 50, 100% increase, or whatever. I was like, man, that does sound good. And so then I just thought, but you know what? It's, when it's too good to be true, it, it usually is. You know, if that really hot girl from school is asking you out, it's too good to be true, it probably is. Something's up, you know, or if there's something like this, you know, something's up. So I asked one of my buddies who actually makes a lot of money in the stock market, young guy, he's made hundreds of thousands in the stock market. I'm like, can you look at this company for me and tell me what you think? He's like, sure. He takes the paper. He's like, I, I, he says, I researched that company. He says, I know exactly what's happening. He said, this, this company has all of, he says, the, the, the gold, he says, their, their samples and everything, the ownership of that land, that's all legit. They actually own that. They actually, it's potentially billions of dollars worth of gold there. He says, the problem with this company is they spent all their money on the land and all their money on the research searching for it, that they have no money left to purchase the tools or the equipment to get the gold out of the ground. So what they're trying to do right now is raise enough money to get to buy those tools to get that gold out of the ground, but the way it's written up is if they don't raise enough money, they just keep whatever money you paid in the stocks, declare bankruptcy, and they made money either way. I'm like, I'm out. You know, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not doing this. It doesn't seem worth it. But what it reminded me and made me think of is that the Bible that we have is like a gold mine of truth. It's like a gold mine of truth that so many people have right there and yet don't have the tools or the, the understanding of how to mine that, the, 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 the nuggets of truth out of it. And so it just ends up leaving there, and it's useless in their lives, and it's worthless in their lives. It's the same as that gold is worthless in the ground to that company and to myself. And so this morning, as we thought about you know, these things, David likens the word of God to gold. David wrote um, in the Old, Old Testament, he wrote in Psalms, and he wrote this psalm, uh, it's called Psalm 19. And if you read the first number of verses, it talks about the instructions of the Lord, and it talks about the decrees and the commandments and the laws of the Lord. And then in verse 10, he writes this. He writes about all of those, that they are more desirable than gold, even than the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey that's dripping from the comb. He's like, the, the word of God is so precious. Do you know that at that time, he probably only had like the first five books of the Old Testament? That's probably all he was talking about is like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and stuff. You're like, what? That list of names after names is like, more desirable than gold? I always skip that part, you know? All those weird laws. Oh, I just, uh, how is this possible? And for many of you, if I were to offer you this morning, here, I'm going to give you a chance to have a few verses of scripture, or I'm going to give you a bag of money. Everybody on that side would feel ripped off. I just know it. They'd all be like, oh, I wish we could have the bag of money. How many of us would say, oh, no, 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 no. The money's not, I need to have the words of God. I need to have that scripture. But too often, we don't treat it with that same value. So does it have that value? Or do we just not realize the value that's there? The Bible's full of truth that's simply waiting to be discovered. And most Christians find themselves without any kind of tools or abilities to discover it. Galileo, Galileo said this. He said, all truths are easy to understand once they're discovered. He says that the point is to discover them. All truths are easy to understand once you discover them, but the point is to discover them. And for so many, it's like, well, I just don't understand. I don't understand the Bible. It's, it's too difficult. But they're easy to understand once you discover them. It's this idea of going out and discovering them. And most won't discover uh, truth in the Bible for three reasons. The reasons why people don't actually dig into the Word of God and find out what it actually means and says is this. One, they're too busy. Too busy. Number two, they're too lazy. We won't do a show of hands for which one you feel you might be. Too busy, too lazy, and the third one is they just don't know how. And so the good news is that we can fix the third problem. The bad news is we can't fix the first two. Too busy, too lazy, that's up to you. But the how to give you the ability and the tools is something that we can talk about, and we're going to do that this morning. One reason that people find it difficult to understand the Bible is simply this. 
they look at it like a regular book. They look at it like a book. It's like full of pages. It's got the spine. It's got, you know, the, the table of contents. It's, it's got chapters and verses. And you, and you read it. It's like, man, it just kind of looks like a regular book. And they start reading from the front to the back. It's like, this thing does not make any sense to me. The problem is it was never meant to be treated like a, a regular book. It's not meant to be read cover to cover. The truth about the Bible is it's a collection of, of 66 books or different documents, 66 of them written over a period of 1,500 years. And if you see the picture here, you can see there's all different kinds. You know, there's books of uh, different writing types. There's law, there's history, there's some, there's some letters to churches, there's some letters to friends, there's just some general letters. All of these documents that were, that were written were, were gathered together. They're written by at least 40 different people as well. Some were written by kings, by scholars, by poor people, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, historians, teachers, um, prophets, and doctors all wrote these parts, and they were all combined together. And for some of you, you're like, well, that feels like Reader's Digest. You know, you sit in the bathroom, and you flip open, like, here's all these different things that they kind of put together that sort of are, are similar, and you kind of have this. And you're like, well, that doesn't, you know, Reader's Digest isn't like all that, that incredible. You know, what makes the Bible that much more incredible if it's just a similar idea of a collection of thoughts? The truth about the Bible is it's 100% written by human authors. It's, not, it's never said that it, that it was like this, this mysterious uh, verses that people just all of a sudden came across and found. And like, oh, well, these must, we don't know who wrote them. They must be holy books. We know who wrote these. We know that they were written by, um, by humans. And so as we think about that, the things I want you to realize this morning to think about is that the documents in the Old Testament, they weren't pages like we see them. They were like these scrolls, which to, to carry around a Bible today is simple. For them back then, it was like a truckload of scrolls that they were carrying around. They didn't have them all together until uh, 200 years before Jesus. The New Testament documents, they were collected about 170 years after Jesus uh, left the planet and were all finally put together. So when Paul was wandering around saying, hey, here's the New Testament, he didn't have one. He just had a bunch of letters and scrolls that they had that they were talking about, and they were all combined for the very first time into one uh, grouping of all of that was 200 years after Jesus. So when we look at the Bible and think, oh, here, we just assume it was always like this. It wasn't. They always had these, these they were always broken apart in single things. What's interesting about the, the Bible, Voltaire, Voltaire is an atheist from the 1700s. And Voltaire said this, he said, you know, within 100 years of my death, the Bible will be in a museum as an artifact. No one will ever read it again. Within 100 years of his death in 1778, the thing is today, nobody thinks about Voltaire and almost everybody knows about the Bible. Do you know the other thing about Voltaire is they took his house and turned it into a Bible dis uh, dispensary after he died. They used to ma manufacture and move Bibles out of his house. It's the first book that was ever printed on the printing press, and it's the number one selling book every single year. It's uh, 100 million Bibles were sold or given away this year alone. 200 million times the Bible app was downloaded on version. It's the best preserved piece of literature that we have by far. Uh, as far as anything from antiquity, we have thousands of copies of, of the Bible literature. We have only you know, a handful of copies of some of the other most famous uh, uh, old documents that we have. It is one of... It's, just even the fact that it all came together is, is miraculous. It's pretty, pretty amazing what we would just have sitting in our, in our hands. And yet, for some, we don't understand or see the value of it. And so Paul, 
Paul was a man who lived in a place called Tarsus, which is a real place. He wrote much of the New Testament, and, and, and when he, was, he didn't know as he was writing that he's like, I'm writing the New Testament. He was just simply writing letters, and he wrote one letter. It was his final letter. He wrote to a young man named Timothy, and so Paul was in prison as he's writing this, and he writes this, this letter to Timothy, and we learn some incredible things about the Bible from it, and it says this in the middle portions. We, we would know it as chapter 2 and 3. He challenges Timothy to hold tight to Scripture, to all those old scrolls, to all those old things, he tells them, you know, hold tight to those things. The, 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 it, the, it was, he was talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't exist at that time. And this letter that Paul was writing one day would end up in the New Testament, and that's why we have it. But he wrote this to, second, or to Timothy, and he called it, it's the second letter to Timothy. It says this in verse 14 of chapter 3. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. Paul's writing this to Timothy, and he, he says this word, you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. And, and just before this, he said, you know what? I want what I'm about to tell you, I want you to tell that to other people. Commit this to faithful men who will commit this to other people, to other people, to other people, so that it will continue on for, for as long as it needs to, that these truths will be there. And so the same thing is that, if you think about that, that means that this was written for us. This was written so that it would continue to be passed down so that one day, sitting in Kingsway Church, we could read this if we were here. And we are. And it says, but you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught because you know they are true. And you know that you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament says it gave him the wisdom to, uh, to receive salvation that came by trusting in Christ Jesus. He says, all Scripture... All Scripture is inspired by God or means it's God-breathed and it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what's right and God uses it. He uses Scripture to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Paul writes to Timothy something that people didn't fully realize in that time period is that that all of these things, all of these documents, yes, they were 100% written by men, but they were 100% inspired by God. He was the inspiration. He was the reason why they penned it and wrote it. And so, you know, you're like, well, this, this, sometimes it's like, did, did God write the Bible or did people write the Bible? Is it God's word or is it men's word? It's both. It's both. It's like this, St. Paul's Cathedral. We have a few pictures of St. Paul's Cathedral. It's an amazing, amazing building. If you look at it, this building was built by one man. If you take a look at the outside, incredible. Take a look at the inside. Just incredible, incredible artwork, stonework, uh, woodwork. It is a massive, massive building. It was made by this man named Christopher Wren. Christopher Wren is the, uh, the architect and the designer of that. And in this, as, as he built this, he, he's credited with building St. Paul's Cathedral, but he didn't lay a single brick. He didn't paint a single painting. He didn't do a single piece of the woodwork. And yet he's credited as being the builder of it. Why? Because he's the architect. He was the designer. It was everything in there was in his mind before it was ever put out. But it was all different men who uh, built this and, and, and put it together. And it's the same idea with the Bible. Everything was in, his, in God's mind. And as he inspired people, they wrote these things. And over 1,500 years, it was this one story that came together. It's the same thing. There's, one, there's many books, but there's one theme. And for some of you read through the Bible and you're like, I don't, you, it, without understanding that there's one theme, you can get all messed up in, in what you read in there. You know, there's the, the theme of the whole Bible is that there is one God and one Savior. That's it. He's like, the whole thing was written to show that there is one God and one Savior. The Old Testament points people to, to Jesus saying, there's a Messiah coming. There's a Savior coming. Keep looking for him. 
And in the New Testament, all that we read, it points back and says that Jesus was the Savior. He's the one who died and rose from the dead. It's all about him. Um, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, it's Christ himself, not the Bible, who's the true word of God. The Bible read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers will bring us to him. It says, we must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which text can be taken for use as weapons. Man, what a genius thought. How often have we seen that very thing happen where verses just get taken out of the Bible and they're used as weapons against one another? The whole Bible was never meant to be used for that. It was simply to point us to relationship with Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The best version that I've ever seen communicate that thought that the whole Bible is about Jesus is the Jesus Storybook Bible for Kids. I don't know if you've ever read this, but it is amazing. It shows Jesus on every page. If you don't have this book, if you have never seen this, please buy this and read through it. If you don't have children, just read it in your own closet at home and be like, you know, I don't want anybody seeing me reading a kid's book. It is amazing how it just paints the whole picture as you read through Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus all the way through. It's obviously shortened, but it shows Jesus in every page. And that's actually what the whole Bible was designed to be. Why read the Bible? The Bible is a primary way that God communicates to us even today. It's the number one way. It's the primary way that he communicates to us. So often I hear people like, I just want to hear God's voice. I'll just take a walk through the forest and like, God, are you there? You know, listen as you walk through Walmart. God, are you there? There's a sale on aisle four. Oh, Lord, is that you? You know, it's like trying to find, you know, driving down the road. And like, I need a sign. I need a sign. And you see a sign on the road. It's like, you know, Balmoral, which just got destroyed and now just says moral. And you're like, is that a sign for me? It's true. Drive that way. You'll see it. Like, and it's like, God, are you speaking to me? And they never open their Bibles to realize that he has already spoken, that he has already revealed himself. And you know what's interesting, interesting about that is the Bible claims to speak to people. It seems to speak to people, and it proves to speak to people. Nicky Gumbel, um, he, uh, the, the, the author of Alpha, said it this way. It claims to. It teaches us what is true, it says. You know, we read that. It teaches us what's true. It makes us realize what's wrong. That's what it, it says. That's what it's going to do. And then it seems to. As you read the Bible, it has that ring of truth to it. As you read the Sermon on the Mount, you're like, yeah, that makes sense that that would be the way that people should live. As you read through, you're like, yeah, it makes sense. And Jesus said, you know, the word is truth. And then it proves to. For those of you who've read it and maybe you've been there, you're like, I can, it's like as I read this, it's like God speaking to me. And for some of you, you've experienced that sitting in these chairs. You know, so you'll come up to me after and like, it felt like you were talking right to me. Well, that wasn't me. That's the voice of Holy Spirit on the inside saying, hey, I'm talking to you. That's that, that thought. It's like it's his word speaks on the inside. Do you know that, that the Bible is meant to be looked at as a letter written from someone who loves you dearly to you? I, I watch Survivor. I'm a big fan of that show, even after like 30-something seasons. It's, it, it, it's, just, it's amazing at, at how people interact when they're put in those places. But this week was the week where they get a love letter from home. The people get a letter from home, and you see these big burly guys sitting on the beach, and they get this letter from home, and all of a sudden they start bawling their eyes out on TV, national TV. Oh, somebody sent me a letter from home. It's my love. And their tears streaming down their reading. They haven't heard from them in, in 21 days. 21 days. I mean, come on. Get it. Like, it's, not, it's three weeks. Big deal. But they're just weeping because it's like this is so precious to them. It's this amazing thing. And then one of the guys sits on the beach, and he's got tears in his eyes. He says to the camera, he's like, I don't think anybody on this planet understands what it feels like to be in this place, to, to just be out on this island all, all kind of alone, and then to hear those words that just bring life to our hearts. I was like, you know, that's exactly the way it is with us. 
for so many, you feel so alone. You feel like, God, where are you? I feel like you don't exist. Why would, where are you? And it's like that idea is that the Bible is his letter to you saying, oh man, you know, this is what I think about you. This is how I, you know, this is how you can um, parent. This is how you should do life. This is how you should work. This is, these are the things that I want you to know about you. And it's like this idea that they would feel that is incredibly valuable, but we're not sure. So why would people not want to study this book? What is it that makes people not want to read the Bible? Maybe you talk to people, you're like, you share your faith, and like, well, I just can't believe the Bible. Like, you guys, you know, you go to your church things. I get it. It's, you know, it's, it's social, but that, the, the Bible, I, I don't get it. You know, for some, there's some difficulties as they begin to read or study Scripture and it's, uh, or talking with others about it. It's like they, they come across these difficulties, and they don't know what to do with it. It's like there's stories in the Old Testament. They're like, I got to these stories in the Old Testament. I'm like, I, you know, God did weird things back then. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I can believe in that kind of God. It doesn't, it doesn't line up with thoughts. You know, I, 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 can't, I, can't, I can't serve a God that's like that. For others, they read through and they're like, they get to these tough topics. My, we were sitting around yesterday just chatting about it around our kitchen table. And, and Reese um, was like, I was asking our family, you know, why do you think people don't read the Bible? And Beth had a number of answers. And Reese was like, it's like, Dad, it's, it's because it's got that word that I really don't like in it. It's got it in there a lot of times. And so we're like, well, what would that word be? And she's reading through Genesis, and she looks at it, she's like, laid with. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, all right. Uh, so when we've explained things to her, we're like, so she's like, as she reads, she's like, what's this doing in the Bible? We're like, Reese, let's move to the New Testament, right? And, and read through there. It'll all become clear. But there's things that just cause these difficult difficulties. And then for some, they're like, you know what, well, if you look at all these old scriptures that have been put together, there's variants in there. There's these little differences. So the Bible can't possibly be perfect or inerrant like you claim it to be because there's all of these variants. And I just, you know, if there's those little variants, I can't believe any of the Bible to be true. And for some, they'll, they'll, they'll use that as saying, hey, we can dismiss the Bible because of these variants. What's really interesting to note is that if anybody here has, a, has an English study Bible and you go through your study Bible, if you've got it online, you'll see these little asterisks and these little notes. And if you click on them or, or you open and check the footnotes, it'll tell you at the bottom. In an earlier text, this is what it said. Or in, in the original text, this is a, a clear description of what that, what that said. And it, it tells you about every single variant that there is. Why? Because there's nothing to hide. It's not like those little variants ever change any of the main point. There's no variance in the scripture that says, you know, it says, well, Jesus was crucified on a cross and he was buried and he rose from the dead. And then there's this little variant that says, well, actually, he was walking along. He got run over by a donkey, you know, and that's what happened to him. It's nothing like that, right? There are all these minor things that don't change the main point. And some would say, well, I can't believe the Bible to be true because of the variance. For some, it's like there's these seeming contradictions. It's like, you know, if you read through the Gospels and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all say something different about what was written on the, on the cross. How can we believe it to be true? We do it all the time. Have you ever been like, you know, you watch TV and there's a, there's a car accident and they interview a bunch of people to say, okay, what happened? And it's different people give different things. You got, the, you got just the facts guy who's like, well, there was a white car, I ran into a brown car. And that's just it, just the facts. And then you got people who like tell you the story like you were there. And if you weren't there, you should have been because there was this white car coming out and there was this lady, she had this big hair and she had these dark sunglasses. Why did she have sunglasses on? It was like, it was like a dusky sort of time of uh, evening and she was driving. He says, I saw her. She had a roof rack on there. I think there was a snowboard on there. Her, like, her uh, license plate had three C's on it. But then as she came around the corner, she's looking down, then she looks up and then she runs right in the back of this brownish car. And it's like, same story. Just a whole different way of, uh, and perspective of looking at it. And it's a lot of 
times we, uh, we realize, you know, as you read through the Bible, there's different people who wrote and wrote in different ways. It's that, that, that humanist part of them that doesn't change the story. For some, they say, well, the Bible doesn't line up with science. Went to university. The Bible and science, they don't, they don't mesh. There's problems there. Oftentimes, what we don't always realize is that the Bible says that God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself through creation. You look around and you see just how amazing creation is. God's revealed himself through that. And science is, just the, science is this discovery of how God revealed himself through creation. That's what science is all about. Theology is learning about how God revealed himself through, through Jesus and through the word. They're, they're different things. They don't need to be uh, uh, against one another. And so for some, they're like, well, I can't because in science, I've got to toss this thing out. This book just doesn't make sense. But Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, listen, as you read through Scripture, as you read through Scripture, realize that all those things exist. Uh, and he said this, he said it to um, earlier, he says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We highlight those words, be diligent, be intentional, because it's going to take some intentional effort to do what I'm about to tell you. Be diligent. It's not, this, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not just going to happen just like that. You're going to have to put in some time and do some work to what? Rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly teach the word of truth. Rightly understand the word of truth. Why? Because you can wrongly do it. He's saying, listen, you've got to be intentional or you're going to get it wrong. And it's the same thing as, as we're saying is what he said, commit to people. So that Kingsway Church, be diligent. Be intentional. Put in some work to rightly understand the word because how you understand it is how you'll share it. Do you realize that because people have shared it so wrongly is the reason why we have so many churches in Canada today? It's why we have all these denominations and here's just a few of them. All over, we've got church buildings all over and what's, what happened? How did they end up in that place? One was like, I believe what Calvin said and this is what it is. Tulip, five points, Calvinism. And one person's over here is like, I believe in Luther so we can't be friends. What Luther said, what Calvin said, whatever. And, and for some, like, I don't believe in any of those guys. So we're just going to be like non-denominational. And there's all of these different, different thoughts of, of what, how they interpret Scripture. And, you know, that's been going on forever. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, listen, he says, I'm not there, but I hear that some of you are saying, I follow Paul and I follow um, Apollos and I follow Peter. And he's like, Did any of us, uh, were any of us crucified for you? is what he asked, were any of us crucified for you? We are followers of Jesus. And never forget that, that the whole idea of Scripture was to lead us to Jesus. If it's leading us to all these different places, we're missing the point. The point is this, you can know truth for yourself. You don't just have to believe what somebody tells you from the front of a building, which means you don't have to simply believe, oh, well, if Mark said it, that settles it. That's not the way it goes. His desire was that you would know truth for yourself. So how? If you forget everything else, this is the last thought in the last couple minutes this morning, is the tools that you need are right there for you, especially in our day and age. The tools that you need are, are this. Number one, you need Holy Spirit. As you read through the Bible, he's like, I'm just going to read through it. He never said just read through it. He said, allow Holy Spirit to lead you. John chapter 16, Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. He's not going to speak on his own, but he'll tell you what he's heard. He'll tell you about the future. Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth will lead you into truth. And if you ask him, say, Holy Spirit, as I read your word, would you lead me into truth? It opens your heart as you begin to go through and realize he's going to help. And then there's these three steps. Write them down, take a picture, whatever. Observation is the first one. Observation. When you, when you study the Bible, the number one thing to do is look at what it actually says. 
Just read what it says. Uh, it's this idea of, uh, of asking these questions as you read through. Who wrote it? As you read through, who wrote it? And who were they writing to? Who were they writing to when they wrote this? What did they write? What does it actually say? And then when did they write it? What time period were they living in? What was it like in their culture at that point when they were, when they were um, reading this? Where was it written? Uh, and where was it sent? And why were they writing it? What was the point they were trying to get across back then? And how would the original readers have understood it? Like, I just thought I could just read it. He says it was never meant to just be read like a normal book. It was meant to be studied, and it will bring incredible truth and incredible life. But it's answering these questions, who, what, where, when, why, and how. And as you read through and realize, ah, it's amazing at what happens in our Acts study. I've read Acts a number of times, and right now as a bunch of us are doing, we're just going through, reading, studying through Acts with the answering these questions. And it's amazing the things that, we've, that we're learning that just I've never seen before. It's like, whoa, there's like a, another nugget of truth that I just never understood before. It's this idea of observation. The second part is interpretation. Observation, interpretation. I can tell you one easy step about uh, learning to interpret the Bible of what it means for you is that the Bible is not all about you. In our culture, everything's about us. It's all about me. You know, and the, 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 the biggest um, way people get this messed up is they read themselves into the story. Every story is somehow about them. They read David and Goliath, and it's not David and a giant man that he kills in this amazing historical battle. It's about me and the giant that I have in my life, and I've just got to find five keys to be the five stones that are going to deal with my eating too much or my drinking too much or whatever my giant is. I'm going to beat that giant because I read in the Bible that David didn't, so that means I can. It's not about you. There's, an, there's a, a thought, too, of realizing that the Old Testament was never, was never actually um, written to you. Uh, people read through the Old Testament, they're like, oh, this must be written to me because it's in the Bible. And so they read the Ten Commandments, like, I got to try and keep these. That's why God put them there. And he didn't put them there for that. Unless you're Jewish, the reason the Ten Commandments are in the Bible was to, tell, was to help this group of people who lived in, a, in, a, in this area that had all kinds of different gods. God chose these people and said, hey, I'm going to put you in my family. We're going to do life together. Here's the rules of my household. This is the way it works. Because you're part of my chosen people, here's the rules I want you to live by. And the reason I want you to live by these rules is it sets you apart from everybody else because I want people to know that you've been set apart for a reason because there's a Messiah coming to this group of people that's going to save the world. And at that point, the Ten Commandments are simply to show everyone that they need him. That's all that that's for. And so for people who read the Old Testament and think it's for them, they, they start to go through and say, oh, i got to try and live the Ten Commandments. It's not what he wants for you. And if you choose to do that, then you need to choose the whole Old Testament. And then it gets really sketchy. The, the, the Galatians, the Galatian church, for instance, they're in the Bible, in the New Testament. They began to follow Jesus. And then all of a sudden they said, these people came and said, no, you need to follow the Old Testament too. And what does that mean if we have to follow the Old Testament? You guys need to be circumcised. And they're like, I don't think I want Jesus anymore. And for some of you who laugh, you're like, last night too, we had this young teenage girl laughing, thinking, oh, that's hilarious. And I was like, you know what? And for you, it's, it's the idea if you um, are ever rebellious to your parents, they have the right to stone you. Whoa. Okay, hold on a second, you know? No wonder we don't want to read it for us, because it's like, that's all confusing. But it was never written to us. The idea uh, be be behind interpretation is context. Context, context, context. Who was it written to? And, and what's the, what do the verses around it say? What is that? If it was one book, if it was just that one, that one scroll, what did the rest of that book say? What's the main point that that writer's trying to communicate? 
You know, David and Goliath is not about you and your giant. You know, when you read that verse and people like make a whole doctrine about, about, beloved, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Means if your soul is prosperous, that means you're going to be prosperous. You can have whatever you want. Do you realize that that's just a greeting? That's just a greeting in the Bible. That's not the main point of what he's trying to say in those verses. And this idea is that, that we would look and see what is the whole context say and then interpret. And then the last thought is this. Observe, read what it says, interpret, what does it mean? And the third thing is application. Observation, interpretation, application. How do I apply my life today to the truth that I've just learned? Because it was never meant to just make you really spiritual, that you knew things about the Bible. It was to affect the way that we live, to change and give us a a way to live. You know, as we read in, in Timothy, it says it teaches us what's true and what's correct, what's wrong in our life. It teaches us uh, to, how to live uh, in a right way. And for some of you, like you're reading, like, man, it just seems like a big book of rules. Do you know that life without any kind of guidelines is chaos? It's the, it's the, it's the rules and the laws of nature that keep our, our universe uh, in place. You know, if you look at a kid who gets raised with no rules, their life becomes chaos. It's this idea of the guidelines keep our lives in order. It's not meant to make our life boring, but to keep, to keep our lives safe and for giving us the opportunity to enjoy everything that life was meant to be. Uh, it's to prevent you from getting hurt. Do you know, it's like as a parent, you tell your kids, hey, you know what, here's the sidewalk and this is the road. The guideline on our lawn is the sidewalk. Don't go across the sidewalk. Why? Because the road's so much fun. We just don't want them to know how fun it is to play on the middle of the road. You know, dodging traffic is just so exciting, and we just don't want them to have any fun. Not at all. We don't want them to get killed. You know, this week I was at, at Great Wolf Lodge, and they had this new ride called the Wolf Tail, where you, like, they, they put you in this tube. They close the door. You hear this heartbeat in the background. Dum, 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 dum. It's like, ready to launch. Three, two, one, launch. And then it doesn't do anything. And then all of a sudden, the floor drops out from under you, and you just go straight down this tube, like, swirling through, eyes closed. Like, it just beats you up for five seconds and spits you out at the bottom. And it's like, it's so crazy. I did seven times. And this... Uh, this ride, though, when you get up there, there's this list of rules that's like from this tall to the floor of you need to keep your legs crossed, you need to keep your arms folded, you need to no, um, not be wearing any jewelry, no uh, goggles, no nothing, and no cameras. And like, like, what is all these rules? They obviously don't want us to have any fun. Do you know the thought behind it? So after I finally got up there and after I realized... You know, having done it a few times, I, I, I want to know how it worked. And so I looked in and I asked the person, like, what happens when the floor, I know it drops, where does it go? And they're like, it flips forward. And I was like, looking, it's like, it's a square, it's a square floor that flips forward in a round tube, which means there's definitely got to be a gap somewhere. I thought, I'll keep my eyes open and try and find it just too fast. I never saw it, but it's there. And so the reason they make you fold your arms like this is not because they don't want you to have any fun. It's so that you don't grab on something and get your arms ripped off, right? And it's like people read the Bible and think, oh, God doesn't want me to have any fun. He tells me to live like this. And it's, it's this thought. It's an amazing book to actually help you get the most out of life. It's an amazing, amazing volume. Uh, it's amazing uh, God-inspired work of, uh, uh, of art, these, these writings. Hebrews chapter 4 describes it this way, our last verse today. The Word of God is, is, is alive and powerful. It's different than everything else because it speaks to us. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It really tells us about us. And for some, for some, this morning, maybe you feel like he's talking to you today. My last couple questions for you are this. How many of you, on no show of hands, but just how many of you, you actually ate a meal today? And then just think about this. When was the last time you ate before then? To keep your body going, you probably ate yesterday. Maybe you took a day off. 
but you probably ate a couple days ago. How many of you have eaten at least three times this month? You're like, uh, yeah, probably. We're pretty good on that. And we fed our bodies because why? We know we need it. We know that we need it. And the thing is, our spiritual lives need the word of God in our lives. So if I were to ask you the same thing, how many of you fed your spirit this morning? Well, yep, went to Kingsway, saw scripture on the screen. Good for you. When was the last time that you, began, that you read the word before today? When was the last time? How many times do you think? Have you, have you read it three times this month? Would we survive physically that way? No, and spiritually, it's designed for us to feed on in that same way, that it's our, it's our food. So my question this morning is for us, you know, we would think there's something wrong with a person who doesn't eat, and there's something wrong with somebody who's spiritual who says, I'm a follower of Christ, who doesn't put the word of God in their heart. There's something, something not quite right about that. So my question this morning is, at what point will you become intentional about putting it in? And for some of you, you're keeners. You're like, okay. Yeah, I got to read the word. I'm going home. I'm going to read the whole New Testament this afternoon. I love your zeal, but I hate your plan because it isn't going to work. But to have a plan, to actually have a plan that says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to begin putting the word of God in my heart and to start small. I want to, you know, for some of you look at like 66 books, that's a ton. Could you read 16 chapters? Could you understand it if it was read in 16 chapters? I want to, I want to give you, show you a quick video and then we're going to, then we're going to dismiss and let you go. So if you know that the The Bible is long and for many people an intimidating book, but we believe that the entire thing is telling one unified story that leads us to Jesus. And so we want to help you learn how to read the Bible as you actually read through the entire thing for yourself. So the Read Scripture experience is, first of all, a reading plan that has broken up the story of the Bible into 16 chapters. Now we've rearranged the order of some of the books to help you see how this overall story works and how each book contributes to it. So we begin with creation of the world and the fall of humanity, which leads to God's covenant promises to Abraham and his family, the people of Israel. Then you come to God's rescue of Israel in the exodus from Egypt, which is followed by the covenant God makes with them at Mount Sinai. From there, God leads Israel through the wilderness and then into the promised land, where Israel grows into a nation and breaks the covenant. And so this flows into the rise and the fall of Israel's kingdom, which ends with Israel being exiled from the land. Now, the story pauses right here, and you'll read through the poetry of the prophets who lived before Israel's exile, and also of the wisdom writings that reflect on this part of the story as well. After this, the story will pick up again, and you'll read the writings of the prophets who lived during the exile, then about the return of Israel from exile, and the writings of the prophets who lived after the exile. You'll conclude the Old Testament with the book of Chronicles. It's a summary of the story so far and how it all points forward to Jesus. And finally, we come to Jesus himself and his announcement of the kingdom of God, which is then followed by the letters of the apostles to the people of Jesus' kingdom. Finally, we'll conclude the entire biblical story with the revelation, a poetic vision of Jesus' return and the healing of all creation. Now, each of these 16 chapters has a number of reading sessions it will take to complete it. Some of these are shorter, others are longer. And if you take just 15 to 20 minutes a day to complete each session, you'll be able to read through the entire Bible in less than a year. Now, even with this map, many books of the Bible are really confusing. It's very easy to get lost. And so when you start each new book of the Bible, you'll be able to watch a short video that lays out that book's structure and flow of thought, and it'll give you tips about what kinds of things to look for as you read. 
but also every book contributes to the overall story of the Bible as well. And so we'll have theme videos placed at strategic points in the reading plan to help you see how the part of the Bible you're reading at the moment fits into that larger story. Finally, each day's reading session includes a psalm because we believe that reading the Bible is not just an intellectual experience, but also spiritual. And so we invite you to take the year to develop the daily habit of praying through the psalms. And by the end of the year, you'll have prayed through the whole book of psalms two and a half times. Our hope is that the Read Scripture experience will help you read through the entire Bible with greater understanding than you ever have before. So you can see for yourself the beauty and the wisdom of this ancient story that points us to Jesus. That's just a plan. You know, there's um, version has different plans. And, you know, with all of the things that, that are available today, we want to equip every person with the tools and the opportunities to know the truth for yourself. You know, for some of you this morning, you've got a Bible, you're not sure where it is, it's somewhere. We wanted to say this this morning, that if you don't have a Bible, or if you don't have one that you understand, we want to offer you one of these this morning at the back, free of charge. If you'll take it and read it, it's in the same translation that we use here every Sunday. It's the New Testament. It gives you a chance to begin just reading through, uh, and you feel free to pick one up on your way out and take it with you. Maybe you know somebody who needs you. like, man, I don't even know how to start there. I would encourage you with this, that we also have this one that we want you to take. If, if, you, if you're like, I, I, don't, I have a Bible, I just don't know where to start. You know, we always say, hey, start in John, and for people, they go and like, well, how do I find that? You know, we just found a way to do that for you, to just take this home with you and begin to read and just take maybe over the next month to read a couple pages. It's full of pictures even. Uh, and to just read through and, and realize what is God saying to me? And for some of you, like, I can do pictures. And for some are like, I just, you know, I don't read good. Then, then if, you, if, if you're in that spot where, you know, you don't read good and do other things good either, then I would challenge you to, to just go and find those videos uh, on, on the Bible Project and just watch each one. It's about there's seven or eight minutes, and they explain everything of what every single book in the Bible is written about. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. If you have kids, great ways to explain because we want to teach our kids what it's really all about because it really is that amazing and is really something worth knowing, and you can know the truth for yourself. You just have to decide whether it's worth it or not. I would encourage you to. It is incredibly worth it. And our world around us needs to hear it. They have questions. Do you have the answers? Can we pray? Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us. I know many people gave their lives so that we could have it in our language. And I'm just thankful for that. Thank you for their sacrifice. God, thank you that, that it's alive today and that it speaks to our hearts and, and how amazing it really is and can be. And so I guess my prayer today, Lord, is that you would change our hearts by your word, that we might see our world change because of it. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead and guide us. We just want to be open to your leading in that as we go from this place into our, our lives, uh, knowing that we take you with us. May we, may we be just aware of that and take every opportunity to share your life and your word and your hope and your Savior with our world around us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen.